Our Father, we come to you for this camp this weekend just asking that your spirit would fall afresh on the people going up there. Why? Because, Lord, we want you to be exalted. We want you to be lifted up. We want this generation to see who you are as God. What a loving, kind, righteous, just, amazing God. And that they would turn from their wicked ways and seek your face, humble themselves, and pray. And you said you'd heal our land, Father. And so, Lord, I'm going to trust you on that one. And I'm going to ask that we would do that even here at this study, that we would prepare ourselves for the mountain, and that we would prepare ourselves for change. And Father, Lord, do you hear me? Would Please, I, I just please, would you rain down your fire upon that mountain this weekend? Would you come down and would vision come to every single one on that hill? Would supernatural vision come to the people here in this room this weekend as they seek your face? Father, if there are ones willing in here to seek your face tonight, would you please reveal yourself to them? Give them vision. Give them direction. Thank you for hearing that prayer. And Lord, I lift up Kent Hovind as he sits in that cold floor, in that cold room, in that cold cell. Our sweet brother, the saint, the pastor, the apologist sits there in that jail cell, Lord, just, man, I know talking to you and spending time, and we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen him, that you give him boldness to bring many more to know you as their Lord and Savior in that prison, and that, Lord, you would set him free. And, Lord, we pray that he would not be set free early nor late, but it would be right on time and that you do all the things that you desire to do in him so when he comes out of that place he is a warrior for you able to strike down the enemy a million more times than he did before and ready to stand up to lead many to know you as Lord and Savior we also come to you for Austin Barnhill Lord as he sits there in Iraq right now in the desert I don't know if he's in his tent or in the Humvee or doing what but I just ask that you would Lord he would recognize something in nature right now that would just cause his heart to leap and rejoice for you and that Lord you would continue to send messengers and angels to comfort him and to minister to him and to protect him and we also ask Father that he would be a light in that dying world that he would be a light there in Iraq and that he would minister to many of the brothers that you would continue to strengthen him and further your kingdom there would you start a little church Lord right there in his base would you give him boldness to step out and start teaching the word his Bible study maybe weekly maybe even daily Please, Father, speak to your brother now. Speak to our brother now. Speak to your son. Thank you for the work that you're doing in him. Bless these things. And thank you for hearing our prayers. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wanted to uh, read to you something. Let me see if I can find it. Um, Jay, did you want to come up and share? Or... No? Yeah? What we talked about earlier? Yeah? Yeah, come on. Come on. Let's welcome J-Mart, yeah? Uh-huh. Just a cool praise report. Hello. Um, yeah. So uh, Ryan, a few months back, was in a coffee shop uh, reading a, a book that all of us guys like to read. Um, it's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And... Um, as he was reading it, he overheard a conversation uh, over the counter, <clears throat> some people talking about, um, you know, various things, God's existence, whatnot. And uh, 
Ryan just happened to be reading this book about the very issue. So he decided to go and, and hand the book over to the girl who was who was questioning. And uh, so he handed it over to her and uh, left his number in there. And she uh, ended up calling him about four months later um, saying that she had really enjoyed the book and that it was answering the questions uh, that she had and that she uh, was really motivated to do a speech in her class on the existence of God. And uh, so... I went up with Ryan, and uh, we met up with her, and um, we helped her out in writing this this speech um, on why God exists. And she was really afraid to do it because she's not really, you know, uh, too keen on public speaking. Most people aren't. Uh, that's actually the number one fear in America. If you guys didn't know that, public speaking, and so it's pretty hard to do for people, and uh, <clears throat> specifically hard for her. So. We got together with her. We helped her out with this speech. She was really scared to do it, not to mention that her professor um, was a very flamboyant, is a very flamboyant atheist, very much against the things of God, very outspoken about it, very, very raunchy, uh, just very anti-Christian. And so she was afraid, not to mention other people in the class were doing speeches on why God does not exist uh, and all sorts of things. So she was definitely going against the grain. She was the odd man out. And uh, this morning she got up and did the speech. I worked with her a little bit last night on it. And, uh, you know, the hand of the Lord was just on her. And she knocked it out of the park. And uh, and this is a girl who just came to believe. Um, And she stood up, gave this speech, and she was afraid. And she got a standing ovation. She got a – they stood and they clapped. This is at Cal State Fullerton. They stood and they clapped for her probably, you know, 50 to 100 People, most of which were pretty opposed to the idea of of God and Christianity, but she, you know she got even her teacher said she did a great job, and uh, so that was the hand of a Lord, and uh, Jesus is doing things, He's moving in people's lives. So that was just one cool story from the the past few months. So I thought I'd just share it with you. Long live the King! Um, long live the King! We'll continue to promote the movie Expelled. If you have not seen it, you must see it. What are you waiting for? What are you doing? Go empty out your piggy bank and go see it. You know it's going to cost you 100 bucks, but go see it, man. It's worth it. That movie is genius. And I praise God for that kind of stuff. You know, if you're in college, don't be scared to step out. And if you need help, then come to us. Come to me. Come to Jay. There's brothers here that would love to sit down and help you in writing a paper or writing a speech or whatever it takes. There is a lot of reason and tons of evidence. Um, The skeptic loves, I don't know, for some reason, just kind of to sweep it off and just make it seem like it's some fairy tale and just kind of laugh and mock and use rhetoric. And, um, you know, it's just no big deal. And and what happens is... uh, you know, in a classroom, as a professor stands up, says a couple of big words, and the whole classroom's all scared to death to say anything. And we must stand up for our faith. We need to be educated. I would encourage you to read that book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Norman Geisler, uh, he's one of the world-leading uh, ph- philosophers, and uh, he's also just within Christianity, just a scholar, well known. And uh, I would encourage you to read that book. It kind of takes you from A to Z. It takes you from uh, God's existence all the way to Jesus Christ being God and everything in between morality and uh, evolution, just all kinds of things. I would encourage every single one of us to read that book. I read it 
time and time again. I'm kind of, I have it in my backpack right now, and we just kind of stay in there reading that continually. So just a quick word of encouragement. I just praise God for stuff like that. I remember when I was in college, man, and I, ooh, I had an atheist teacher too, and I gave this speech and all the above, man. And in the middle of my speech, it was a persuasive speech. She said, Mr. Thompson, you need to stop. Like, just kept going for another minute and a half, and then she interrupted me again because it was just getting all intense. Like, I was just preaching the blood of Christ and just the full thing. And, man, uh, she was ticked at the end. I mean, lit up. But then she left the room in frustration after I had finished, and many of the kids around were just like, hey, you did a great job. You know, it was just, you know those times when it gets all thick and intense in here, and it's all like tension, just like, you know, like you hear pen drop? It was like 50 times worse than that, you know? It was like, it was just ridiculous in that room because we're in a secular college, and it's just uh, a lot of kids who really don't give a rip about God. And so um, we need to stand up. We need to stand up and proclaim the gospel. Josh, I don't know much. You don't need to know much. Just know what you know and proclaim it. If you know the gospel, proclaim it. If you have a testimony, proclaim proclaim it. Just tell people what has happened to your life. And if you need help and more information, man, there are brothers that would love to just pour out. I have so many crazy ideas for the future and so many and that I would just love to see happen and love to see do, love to see us do. It's going to take a lot of dedication, a lot of faithfulness, a lot of prayer. So if you're long for that ride and would love to see God do great things, get dedicated, get faithful, and get ready. Um, things are just... Uh, I could talk all day. I'll stop. i got to stop. I wanted to read this to you. It's a blog I read. It's called Starving the Beast. Why is pri- what is pride, and why does it seem to get in my heart so easily? I think pride is an overestimation of my goodness and an underestimation of God's. The scary thing about it is how destructive it is and how it can build so many divisive walls. When I'm looking at someone... It is my sinful nature to size them up, to see if they're above or below me based on what they are wearing, how they are acting, if they are good or bad, cultured or ignorant. Then based on my assessment, I decide how I will relate to them and treat them. Isn't that stupid? I'm looking for evidence that I am a good or better than them. I'm looking for food to feed my pride, this little beast that lives inside of me. This isn't something I consciously think about. It's the way my head works. This way of looking at people is what our culture has taught us. But it seems like every year I grow more and more aware of just how wrong that is. I'm going from glory to glory, renewing and revising the way I think to be in alignment with the way God would have me think. The goal is to act. I'm sorry. The goal is to act how I act and be who I am no matter who I am interacting with. From the bum to the president. It's funny how Christians can be into spiritual stuff like prayer and theology, but when it comes down to just basics like interacting with people, we totally miss the mark. I don't know. We think we can wear different masks and act one way to this person and another way to that. But that's not being sincere. That's not keeping it real. A thought that shakes me out of this is this. 
If this were the only person in the world, Jesus still would have come down and died for them. They are special to him. Jesus loves this person just as much as he loves me, so why should I feel I have any right to judge them or treat them any less than a brother or sister, any less than I would treat myself? And it goes for it goes the other way too. We don't have to feel people are better than us because they are beautiful, powerful, rich, or intelligent. I don't think any person shows I'm sorry, I don't think any person's show of power could intimidate Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth. And as his sons and daughters, we should not be intimidated either. So the challenge I always put to myself is simple. When I look at someone, I will love them. I will see they are someone's child. See they have enormous potential to lead and help this world. See through the way they act, whether it's ignorant, arrogant or ignorant, to the person Jesus sees when he looks at them in love. People are wonderful. People are precious. People are relatable. People are broken. People feel empty. People are deceived and confused. People are presumptuous. People are funny. People are scared. People are putting on shows. People are acting like me. Duh. So I'm starving this beast of my pride until it completely dies. I won't feed it any of my judgments, comparisons, assessments of people or myself. Proverbs 11.2 When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. Isn't that great? It's a great word. I thought it was perfect for us here. You know, you who know God, you who walk with Him daily, you who have been walking with Him for years, you family, I believe here at this study, do know the Lord, and you are not babes, but you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you walk with Him daily. You know the Word. You've been taught it. You know how you are to be living and walking close to You know that lust is wrong. You know that lying is wrong and murder and hate. You know these things. But things that we do not consider very often is our pride and how our eyes choose to wander and put down continually. And it is a beast stirring within each of us and we must get it under control. That is how family begins. That is how, hey, we move forward. You guys understand? So I wanted to share that. It's a powerful word. And if you can get that under control, God will exalt you and use you and minister to many. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Amen? Let's go before the Father as we open up in the Word tonight. O great King, ah, thank you. Man, thank you, Lord, that you look through all my pride and just wretchedness. And that you would see a man and say, I'm going to use him. I'm going to use you, Josh. I'm so thankful for that, Father. I know I don't deserve it. I know I've done nothing righteous nor just in your ways. All the work that happens in me is because of you and you alone. And I thank you for that. And I just ask for this group and me too, Father, that you would reveal to us our pride. Lord, if we have to fall if we have to stumble and mess up big time in order for our eyes to be open of our pride, do we have to trip and fall for our pride to be knocked down? Do we have to swing a golf club and miss for our pride to be knocked down? Do we have to be embarrassed in front of thousands for our pride to be knocked down? Whatever you desire, whatever you want, we are willing and open to be broken so that you can use us to glorify your kingdom. I know it is a scary prayer to pray, Father. 
But we, your children, desire what you desire and want what you want for our lives. We know that's the best. We know that is the greatest way of life. And so we lay these things at your feet, and I ask, Father, please, that you would open your word tonight, and that we would walk away changed forever. We need your touch. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Second Chronicles chapter 36, we will close this book, the last chapter of Second Chronicles. Turn with me. As we are moving through the Bible, and yes, reading a chapter a day, I hope that you family are continuing with me. If you're not, get on it. Let's get back to reading a chapter a day and really taking in. I mean, you know how refreshing it feels? I was thinking to myself, is I think I was in the grocery store. I can't remember. It was grocery store or gym, one of those. But I was standing there, again, look, just looking at this generation, looking at people, just watching. How is a man to keep his way pure these days? I ask myself. It's by taking heed to the Word of God. I've hidden these words in my heart, O Lord, that I may not sin against you. And I was thinking to myself, how do we fight against this generation? Look, your eyes are taking in things all the time, all day long, all day, every day. Every day. Think about it. It's like your eyes are like a video camera and you're just like soaking it in, soaking it in, soaking it in all day long, 24 hours. You just That's all I see. All I see is what I see. Oh, I know. What I, I was looking at one of those uh, those trucks, and they had the skin picture there on the bat with these naked chicks standing there. And I was sitting there like, what is going on, again, with this generation? Like, if I went away from America for like 10 years and then came back and saw this on the back of a truck, that's what I was thinking to myself. Like, what would I be thinking? Like, I'd probably run into that guy like, are you crazy? What are you doing with, like, what's this pornography on the back of your truck? What are you trying to do to my mind, man? Like, why are you trying to jack me up? Don't you care? Do you not care about families and fathers who are trying to take care of their families and really minister their wives? What are you doing? I was just thinking how we've become so comfortable to this. Our eyes, they just take it in all day long. And I was thinking to myself, how do I keep my way pure? How? This is how. It's by washing your mind in this every day. You were washing your mind in the world all day long. Wash, 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 wash. Just take it in. Monitor yourself. Recognize how much you are just sucking this stuff in all day and how much of God's Word. No wonder you fall into sin. No wonder you cannot stay pure. It is because you're not meditating on this day and night. There's a brother here who comes. I remember him telling me, and I remember John telling me this too. John would say, brothers, John Corson that is, when he was in my shepherd, he said, Keep your Bible with you at all times. It says if you're standing in line at the grocery store, you got a couple minutes to read, then read. Just pull it out and just bust a couple of verses real quick and just enjoy it. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. To be honest, I haven't. I carry my little pocket PC and it's got the word on there, but I haven't busted that out in a uh, in a Stater Brothers line in quite a while. And um, when you're taking in the word like that daily, over and over and over. Hey, your mind becomes renewed real fast. And you start to recognize when your mind slips. But these days, we don't recognize that either. Huh? We just see a skin like the naked girl on the back of the truck. It's like, eh. yeah, I've seen that a million times. No big deal. It's just like what I see. Our eyes are comfortable. 
Remember when I came back from Mexico? I lived in Mexico secluded for four months. When I came back here, it was blowing my mind what I was seeing. I couldn't believe it. So much skin, I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm just like, Mercedes-Benz, man, just like really nice cars and just like all this stuff. Even the way I dress, like you just forget about everything. I grew up this beard down to like down here, you know. I was just a freak, you know. Like, But uh, I just didn't care, man. I just wore jeans and a t-shirt and, you know, you don't have to shave. Don't have to brush your teeth. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but, um, you know, just, 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 you're not impressing. You're just out there seeking God and just doing your thing. But you come back here, whole nother story, man. We are in a bubble. We got to get out of it. What we're going to look at tonight as we close this book and as we jump into this last chapter of this book, listen. You're going to see kings once again just do wicked in the sight of the Lord and the whole nation rebels against. It's ridiculous. And this generation is rebelling, well, because, hey, people have rebelled and people just follow after. But what if we raise up a generation, us, where we purpose in our hearts to raise up a family to disciple our kids, to spend not four hours a week with our children, but to spend minimum, what, an hour a day? Is that too much to ask? Now, just an hour. An hour? Spend eight hours at work. Many hours at school. But just simply discipling and pouring into and loving on, man, we'd see a different generation, wouldn't we? It starts with who? Each one of us individually. Look, I can preach and say, everybody, let's do this. But it doesn't work. It's when each person considers what they are to do and starts doing it. That's when something happens. We must be washing our mind in the Word daily, preparing ourselves for our families, preparing ourselves for the future. Preparing ourselves for opportunities to minister. Amen? Wash your mind in the Word daily. I've hidden these words in my heart, O Lord, that I may not sin against you. Let's look at verse, I'm sorry, chapter 36 here. Verse 1, Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king. In his father's stead in Jerusalem, Jehoahaz was twenty and three years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Interesting. He became king at what age? Twenty-three. And he reigned three months. Wow. Verse 3, And the king of Egypt put him down at Jerusalem and condemned the land in a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And the king of Egypt made Eliakim his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem and turned his name to Jehoiakim. And Necho took Jehoahaz his brother and carried him to Egypt. Now, there isn't much there, but a story just being told. One guy rises up. He's king. 23 years old, king for three months. I don't know exactly why he is just snatched out of position, but the king of Egypt stands up and says, Listen, um, I don't want you to be king anymore. Boom, just kicks him off the seat and brings up his brother, Jehoiakim, and he is now king. And this king of Egypt carried his brother off to Egypt. 
Look at verse 5. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in fetters to carry him away. And that word fetters is actually translated chains also. So he bound him up in chains. Nebuchadnezzar comes on the scene. Now this name is well known. Remember, this is the king that what? Do you remember in Daniel, the king that rose up and said what? You will bow the knee or what? I'm going to throw you in the lion's den. You remember that? You know the story from Sunday school. Nebuchadnezzar rises up and just kicks this guy off the chair. He is 25 years old. He does that which is evil in the sight of the Lord for 11 years. Think about that. A king doing evil in the sight of the Lord for 11 years. That's a long time, isn't it? And that's a lot of evil. Just straight up doing evil. I want you to consider our leaders and our president and politicians in this day and age. I want you to be... man. We need to be in prayer, and we need to be encouraging this generation to be seeking the face of God. Why? Because this generation is, hey, the future politicians. And I'd like to uh, pose this to you. If we, who love God, try to do right but still do wicked, still do wicked, right? You would agree we do things wrong all the time. What if we were in office? Would we mess up? I'm sure we would. Um, I'm sure we would be trying to do right. But what happens when all of the power and the greed and all this stuff starts coming our way? What would we do? We stand firm? I would hope so. But now let's take a man who does not seek the face of God and put him in office as a politician. Think about it. He's standing there. He does not seek the face of God. Why do you think he would make right decisions for our country? Well, because that's his job, Josh. He's supposed to do that. huh? Do you make right decisions at your job, at your workplace? I'm sure you try to. I'm sure you mess up. But if you have someone in office, you have someone in position who, hey, really doesn't give a rip about people, loving people or loving God, and he is running the country or running the government, think about it. What will happen to the nation? Eleven years of doing evil in the sight of the Lord. The people will not seek the face of God. I almost, I was, I was asking the Lord the other day, it's like, Lord... I really don't know how to be president. I really don't give a rip about doing something like that for so everybody can see a man standing up there and glorify him. But I was thinking about, I was like, Father, if I had the opportunity to stand as president in this nation, what would I, what would I sincerely do? Would I really make a stand or would the pressures of everyone around me come upon me? Would I really, would I buckle under And it's something heavy to carry because the question is, you say, I would. Well, look at how you're living right now. That determines whether or not you would buckle under. There you go. It's like the millionaire. Or it's like the person who wants to be a millionaire. If I had a billion dollars, I'd give everything I have. Oh, really? Why don't you give all the five bucks that you have in your pocket right now? If you don't have a heart to give now, you will not have a heart to give then. And if you're not having a heart to seek God now or live a holy life before Him, you will not when you're president or king. Absolutely not. Or when you lead a family, you will not. It's something that haunts me every day. 
is because I preach to you week after week. I'm going to raise up a godly family. I'm going to pursue my fa- I, I can't wait to pour into my kids and to disciple them and to raise them up. I want to have lots of kids so I can raise up an army and, and, really, and really be able to disciple these guys that they just go out into the world and truly impact, make a difference. It's like my greatest adventure. I'm so fired. I've done a lot of cool stuff, but this is the greatest adventure. And it haunts me daily. Josh, if you do not live, however you live now, this is what your kids will see. And what, It's like it haunts me because it, i got to change. Josh, what are you talking about? You seem, you're up there on the pulpit preaching. You seem to be doing pretty good. Family. Don't ever think. Don't ever allow yourself to get in a place where you're comfortable. I'm doing good with God. Absolutely not. We must press on. We must push forward. It's like when I find myself walking a week or two weeks without sin, without deliberate sin in my heart, like where I'm saying, I know this is wrong and I'm going to do it anyways. Well, I've seen that. That's absolutely wrong. And, and hey, I'm just going to let that go. I'm not going to do anything about it. I start feeling good about myself, about the two-week mark. I'm just like, holiness. <laughs> Doing all right. And then there comes the enemy to sneak it around the corner, ready to drop kick. I'm ready to destroy and mess up. Take heed lest you fall. Don't let the clichéist proverb come into your mind and just brush it off. Take heed and press on. Don't allow yourself to be comfortable. People who are comfortable in the church do nothing. I was thinking about that. 10% have vision and really move forward and really dominate and really impact the city. And 90% of the church sit and go to church Wednesday night and Sunday nights. They're not involved. They barely tithe. They barely, they barely help out. But I love a brother that I'm very close to, who I see, I watch this guy. The guy does not stop doing things. He just said a phrase today when I was around him, I couldn't believe it. He works as a janitor full time. And uh, he said, he said, you know, I, I, told, I told Pastor, uh, you know, the guy who runs the janitor stuff and I told him if he doesn't need, if he needs anything I will do anything for them free of charge I'm not gonna they're not gonna pay me a dime because this is a church and I work for the church full time and um, and I will sacrifice my work even to come more I'm just like my ears are deceiving me right now this is not happening but he was dead serious about serving and you know what anytime something needs to be done the guy's a visionary it's like with with setting up and breaking down down stuff he just makes it happen. It's not like coming up and tapping on the shoulder 50 times. What do I do next? And and how do I do this? And how do I, no no he just figures it out and finds a way. You just ask him to do something. He does above me on. It's like hey um could you empty that trash? He goes to empty out the trash and he like shines the, tr- the trash can like sparkling clean and then he cleans off all the countertops and he he he, he checks the register and, and and he stocks everything up and it's like oh did you take care of it? Yeah yeah I took care of it. And you come back. You think you just took out the trash? No, everything's set up. Everything's flossed out. It's just perfect. But that is one who truly lays down his life. His life. If you're not willing to lay your life down for Christ, you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Disciples, his disciples were one that what? Left everything they had to follow him. And it has been a challenge in my life. Daily family. Yes, a challenge. For me to say, God, I give you what I want, my desires. I... I don't get any plans. And I find that the more that I give, the more He gives. You can't outgive God. I remember that shovel race. 
It's like if you take a, a shovel and throw it towards God, He takes like the bucket of a of a tractor and just dumps it on you. You know, it's like you're not going to win. You can't outgive Him. You give Him time. You give Him money. You give Him your life. He will give. He will bless. Amen. These kings, eleven years of rebellion. When we give like that, a nation can start to change. We got to do this. We got to move forward. Look at what happens with Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in a couple times in this story. Let's look at verse 7. Nebuchadnezzar also carried out the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. And I write next to that with a circle around it mistake. Big mistake. You do not take the things of the Lord, the vessels that are in the temple, and put them in your own temple in Babylon. Are you crazy? Nebuchadnezzar? Who do you think you are, Nebi? You shall rise up against the living God and take his vessels out of his temple? You're crazy. And I say the same thing to this nation as they choose to take the name of God off the coin. And they choose to take the name of God out of the courthouse. Before you know it, they will not be swearing on the Bible. It's like, go get Dr. Phil's book and bring it in here. You can just swear on that thing. It's cool. Whatever you feel is good. What book do you like? Dr. Seuss? Come on, bring it up here. Bring it up here. Let's do it. It's sad, isn't it? They're snatching the name of God, and I warn this country, and I warn you as a family, if we do not do something and the name of God gets pulled out of this country, this country will fall. And just as in the Old Testament the nations fell, this one will fall, I guarantee it. The only reason I believe there is prosperity in this nation and it's been blessed and there has been liberty and justice for all, freedom, this is a principle that comes from Christianity and Christianity alone. That is why slavery, that is why all these things were broken, why people lay down their lives for freedom. Who would do that? We do not stand up and the vessels start to be taken out of the temple. Be very careful to watch when the government maybe tries to come into the church and snatch away more and more and more. keep your eyes open. Be praying against those things. We gotta pray. I gotta pray right now. Father, we your people are just um, really scared for this nation. As on the outside it looks like everything is just Lottie Da in Hollywood. New movies coming out and new cars rolling on dubs and these big houses and But Lord, the truth is, is this nation is falling deeper and deeper into materialism and deeper and deeper into pride and further and further away from you. And I'm sorry, King. I just ask the Lord, if you can change this, if you want to change this, if you have different vision for the future, I'm ready, I'm open, I'm down. Let me know. Direct my steps. And direct these people in here tonight in their workplace. Give us vision, please, Father. We repent on behalf of our nation and ask that You would heal our land. Yes, Father, we will seek Your face. We will humble ourselves, pray, turn from our wicked ways. We need You, King. Don't depart from us. 
Don't leave this nation, please. Pour your spirit out upon us in these last days. We ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar ripped the vessels out of the temple. Look at verse 8. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and his abominations which he did, wicked. His abominations which he did and that which was found in him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his stead. And Jehoiachin was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Stop there. Jehoiachin is the next one of these brothers. Jehoiachin. Jehoiakim. It's like change the last bit of their name. Okay, that's cool. But um, Jehoiachin, eight years old, comes into power. Can you imagine an eight-year-old? And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. I wonder what he did. What do you do? Throw a ten- temper tantrum? You know, like, <laughs> like bang on the floor and like throw pillows at the priests, you know, and like be all mad. I don't know what he did. Little rebellious kid. He only, ra- he only reigned, uh, what does it say, three months and ten days? Three months and ten days he reigned as king. And he did that which was evil. Oh, sad. Monkey see, monkey do is the phrase that children take on, is it not? You know what I'm talking about? Like You can even sometimes look at a child, like at 10 years old, 12 years old, and you listen to them and listen to them talk, and they do the exact same things that parents do, the parents do, you know? You know what I'm talking about? It's like the almost identical characteristic and phrases and just all of the above. I was talking with someone just the other day, and she was telling me that her niece came in and cussed at grandma, nine years old. Yeah, came in and cussed at grandma. I was like, what? Oh, lucky I wasn't in that room. Woo! I would have, woo, laid a smack down in a heartbeat. And I, I often wonder how I'm going to approach discipline in this generation. Um, because if you spank your child at Stater Brothers, you're in big trouble, huh? Get out of here, man. The Bible says if you pull the rod of correction away from your child, you hate your child. If you do not discipline, you do not love them. Discipline is something that is needed and actually something that children long for, believe it or not. I remember uh, hearing about a study that was done on prisoners. And there is, there is some that if they do not get caught after a certain amount of time, guys who have served time, they, they, the, uh, the people who are doing the studies, they find that these men are turning themselves in, just turning themselves in, because they feel so guilty about what they've done. They just can't handle it. Very funny. It's almost like if, if a child does something wrong, discipline releases. It releases the frustration and it releases... Whatever is going on inside of them, this rebelliousness, discipline sets a child free, believe it or not. Remember my father telling me, I do this because I love you. Spank, spank. Ah! You don't love me. Oh, my father loves me. And he still loves me. And uh, I will not talk back to my father even to this day. I will give him much respect because he deserves it. He raised me and my brothers well. And he deserves to be lifted up high in our family, respected. If any one of my brothers talk back, ooh, I will light them up in a second. 
Even the other, I remember the last time we were together at Thanksgiving, my brother popped off. I'm like, Jess, you shut that mouth. I'll come over there and light you up. You don't talk to dad like that. And uh, this generation, I can see this eight-year-old king, again, throwing temper tantrums and doing all kinds of crazy things. I remember a brother here. He saw a, a mother there with a child in a grocery store. He actually he used to come to the study all the time. You know him, Larry, one of the sweet brothers. And this kid was just, just livid, you know, just yelling at his mom and crying and just throwing a fit, pulling stuff off the shelves and all this stuff. He's like, uh-uh. You know, and he could, she couldn't do anything. She's like, please, just, you know, come on, be quiet. We're going to have to go in the car. Just be quiet. Please, just be quiet. You know, the mom just trying to do the thing. Uh-uh. And Larry just, Larry says, excuse me, ma'am. He walks up, he grabs a child like this and says, you listen to your mother. And then he walked away, and all of a sudden she, she looks at her, she's like, how'd you do that? The child just stopped. <laughs> child just stopped, like, just like, I'm not saying, don't, don't go around and start doing that to people's ch- children, you know, like, I don't know if Larry was just being spirit-led or what, but you know what? The child stopped. And you know what? That kid needs discipline. And it's going to be a challenge for us. Yes, it is. But in order for our kids, our eight-year-olds, not to do wicked in the sight of the Lord, we must train them up. I remember my grandma, I'll never forget it, every day she would tell me, train a child in the way they should go. And I'd be like, I hear you, Grandma. Then she'd spank me. <laughs> oh, I love my grandma. One of the most godly women, she quotes scripture to me every single day. Sit there with her magnifying glass, reading the word. She read the word every single year, I guarantee, of her life. She lived 87 years, all the way through the Bible every single year. This woman knew the word, and I look at her life completely different, even from the way me and my brothers are. My grandma used to make us garden all the time in the backyard before we could go and play after school. Yep. We had a, not a very big backyard, maybe as, you know, as big as this whole building and, and out some of there. We had like 20 trees, like fruit trees. We just had a lot of stuff going on back there. My grandma lived on a farm in Oklahoma, so like with five or six kids. And so she really instilled these things into us, man, just like trying to teach us discipline at a young age. She would make us dig the ditches. She'd make us, uh, you know, just pull all the weeds and take care of these plants. And it was a great time. But I look at that woman, and I praise her, even though she's with the Father right now. I praise her for the things that she did in my life. And um, know this, parents, aunts and uncles, grandparents, you train these kids up in the way of the Lord. Even if you don't get to see them much, just unload on them the Word of God. When you take them out somewhere, when you spend time with them, just continually pray the, play the worship music in your car. Talk to them about Jesus. Pray for them. Encourage them. Let yourself be known as the one in the family that is not going to compromise nor change for anyone. That you stay, stand firm before the Lord. Even though there are many times when I was upset with my grandma because she was stubborn as an ox in the ways of the Lord. And she would not move. And she lit us up, man. I mean, her spankings were worse than my dad's, man. You know, My mother passed away when I was eight, and so grandma kind of came in and took over there for a while. And uh, I praise her for that. Because if I was going to be that eight-year-old rebellious little brat, oh man, she smacked that out of me real quick. And uh, and again, I praise her. I recognize the discipline and I just say, thank you, Father. 
forgive me parents like that. May you say, Josh, I didn't have parents like that. Well, you know what? You have a Father in Heaven who loves you and who will chasten you and discipline you daily. Get ready. Get ready. We must raise these kids, these eight-year-old little rebellious jerks, in the ways of the Lord. Let's look at verse 10. And when the year was expired, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the goodly vessels of the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah, his brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was one and twenty years old when he began to reign and reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And I wrote next to that, mistake. This king, 21 years old, reigning for 21 year, I mean 11 years, did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not listen to who? Jeremiah the prophet. He did not humble himself. There are many in this day who will hear the word of the Lord, but will not humble themselves before God. Will not humble themselves. Did you know that there are people in the church coming week after week who continually choose? I don't see how people can sit through the service when conviction is like barreling down on my life, I'm just like freaked out, you know, like, oh man, Father, I've like rebelled against you once again. I don't know how people just endure it time and time again. They hear the prophet stand up and speak, and then they just say, I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not going to change. If that's you, open your eyes, let the light bulb click on, be different. Start now. Because you're wasting your time. Don't even go to church. I would encourage you not to go to church if you were going to sit there in the pew and be a lukewarm Christian. Uh Uh-uh. Be hot or cold. Get out of the church. If you're not full on for Christ, then get out. Go experience the world. Go jack your life up a little bit and recognize that it's not what it all cut out to be. And then come back to Jesus. And I will pray for you and encourage you. There are many in the church that I think almost need to be turned over to the enemy, like Paul said. Just turn them over. Let the enemy mess mess them up a little bit and watch. Isn't that the story of many of our lives? We We ran from God, we walked away, and then we come back stronger than ever. Because we recognize that thing got nothing to offer. It's just a big heap of trash, rubbish. And all the world does is destroy your life. Nothing to offer. Sin wrecks you. If you want to be wrecked, sin. Enjoy it. Endure it. If you don't, listen to the words of Jeremiah the prophet. Be humbled. I wanted to read, um, yes, I wanted to read something from the commentary. I have two things to read, but... Yes, this is the verse. Just listen to this. Jeremiah is on the scene preaching and sharing pleading with the people in Jerusalem to repent from their evil and turn to the Lord. But the people didn't listen to Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah preached for 40 years and eventually, no, and evidently no one responded to his ministry. Yet he goes down in eternity as one of the greats because God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us simply to be faithful. Oh. Man, that just gave me chills, man. Because it's like... It's so true. Can you see Jeremiah the prophet standing up up to these kings? Ridiculous people doing evil in the sight of the Lord, messing up the temple. They, they don't 
care about God. They don't care about anything. Just themselves. And Jeremiah preaching and preaching and preaching. Come on. Somebody repent. Somebody turn. God, what are you doing? Year after year after year, crying out to God, Father, give me revelation. What am I saying to the people? Okay, I'm going to say it to him. Thus saith the Lord. He goes and says it, and nobody repents. Can you imagine? Can you imagine preaching week after week, month after month, year after year, and no one comes to Christ? No one repents. No one cares about your study. No one cares about what you're doing, and you just remain faithful. That's difficult, isn't it? And maybe in your workplace, you've been trying hard, you've been praying faithfully. Maybe in your school, you've been trying to make a stand for you. Maybe wherever you're at, in your family, and people do not listen. God's not called you to be successful. Love that. He's called you to be faithful. And you remain faithful. I know a man by the name of Chuck Smith who's faithful for, I think it was 35 to 40 years or something like that just shepherding a small church of like 100 or 200 people, maybe 300 at the most, just doing what he was supposed to do, just preaching and preaching week after week, doing the same thing, then all of a sudden what? Out of nowhere, this movement starts to happen and all these people start to come to know Christ. And now his church, they say 25,000 people walk through that place. You would think that after 35 or 40 years of living for God or trying to seek His face, preaching in a church, that something would happen. Maybe sometimes it takes that long. Look, I am so ready and fired up. And like, please, Lord, just do something now. Please, like, come on. What, what are you waiting for? Just open the clouds, man. Just reach your hand down to such a city. Revival starts when you want it, Father. It's when you want. You just flip on the switch and the rain begins. It's like, why? Come on, please, now. And I think about all these things and all these desires that I want and all these places I want to be successful in. And God says, hey, after I read that, I thought to myself, Josh, what if you're not successful in anything you do for the rest of your life? What if God doesn't allow it? You're just like, you're going to preach. Revival never happens. You preach to a small group of people just week after week, month after month. Will you still be faithful to me? Will you still seek my face? Will you still love those sheep? My answer is yes, Father. That's what I... Yes. As much as that breaks me because it breaks all of the things that I desire inside, do you understand that God is just simply calling you to be faithful where you're at? Where are you at right now? Analyze your life. Focus. Where is your life? Where are you in your life right now and what are you called to be faithful to? What is it? You're like, Josh, I haven't been successful in many things. Doesn't matter. What are you to be faithful in? Jeremiah went down as one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. He didn't have a mega church. He didn't have any church. <laughs> wow. Didn't even lead anybody to Christ. The church of today would say, he's not successful. God would say, that's my man. 
He's faithful to me. He seeks my face daily. He spends time with me. He's doing what He's supposed to do. What are you to be doing? Let's ask ourselves. Come on. Don't let me just say that. Ask yourself. Say that. Josh, what are you to be doing? Where are you supposed to be? What are you to be faithful in? Are you being faithful? Be faithful where you're at. Amen? Be faithful. And God will take care of the rest, okay? You only got one life to live. Did you know that? Once it's over, it's over. This is your only shot in eternity. This is your only chance. And when it's over, you don't get another chance. You stand before God, and that's the end of it. And you'll stand before the Bema seat, which is the judgment seat for believers, and He will, yes, judge you based on what you have done in this life. Did you know that? I believe it's 1 Corinthians 3 that speaks about what? That, hey, every single one of us builds a house. Did you know that? With the works that you do. If you do good things, you build your house with what? Hey, gold, silver, and gems. If you do bad, you build your house with hay, stubble, and wood. And did you know that when you get to heaven, your deeds will be tested with fire? Your house will be set, yes, on fire. And if all you have done is wickedness or not done the things that God has called you to do, your house will burn and you'll have nothing to show. But if you do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord and you are just faithful to Him daily, even if no one sees, you know what integrity and character is? It's doing the right thing when no one's looking. It's walking down the street, no one's around, and picking up that piece of trash. That's integrity. That is character. It's doing the right thing when no one is looking. That is who you truly are. Go lock yourself in a room and say, Who am I? And that's who you are. You are not who you portray yourself to be. Did you know that? God looks on the inside. It's been something very scary. I remember when I went to Mexico, I was very scared to be who I, I was. I was getting away from everybody that I knew. There's a huge network of people here that I know in Riverside, and I just was so scared to get away. Why? Because nobody knows me out there. I get no respect from anybody. You're just another Joe Schmo on the block. Who are you? What's that hat doing on your head? You're funny. Nobody cares. And I remember sitting in that group, sitting there thinking to myself, I had like a decision to make. I can put it on the biggest front to these guys and make them, I could be whoever I want to be. I can make them think I'm, you know, whoever, whatever. Mr. Spiritual, Mr. Godly, or I can just be who I really am. And I was determined, determined to be who I am. And I didn't do a single thing. I didn't talk very much at all in the beginning. I know that's hard to believe. But I didn't talk to anybody. I just sat there and just kind of sat back and watched. And as people approached me, I would talk to them. But I would not approach others. Because I wanted to see who I was on the inside. And I wanted to really develop and recognize who I was. Jeremiah the prophet is preaching to us day after day, week after week, year after year. Humble yourself. Be faithful unto God. Don't worry about success. He'll bring the success. Did you know that? That God's in complete control over everything? And if he wants it to be successful, it will. If he wants it to crash, it's going to crash. You can't do anything about it. Ha, ha, ha. Dang it. The Father has control of all things. He's simply asking you just to be faithful to him. That's it. We're going to be in heaven soon. Did you know that? 
Maybe next week. Maybe next Tuesday. Maybe we will stand in heaven. Maybe the rapture will happen. And we will stand there and I'll look into your eyes and I'll say, we made it, family. We made it. I told you so. Aha. And I will laugh and dance. You can laugh at me. That's fine. But I'm going to enjoy my time. The day is coming soon. Come like a thief in the night, the Bible tells us. Be faithful. Let's move on to verse 13 here. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, whom he had made... This is this is the king... Uh, yeah, Zedekiah. So he didn't listen to Jeremiah, and then he also rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who he had made him swear by God, but he had stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord of God of Israel. Interesting. See, I just love the way the King James... Uh, the picture that it paints... It says that he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart. What a picture, huh? Stiffened his neck, like, mm -mm, not budging. I'm rebellious. Maybe that's the way some of you act to your parents. They ask you to do something and you stiffen your neck. You rebel. Maybe you have before. Be very careful. Can we be a family that blesses our parents? Can we do that? Really loves on them? man who does those dishes and who takes out the trash and just, man, is really a blessing to the household. You know what I'm talking about? It's a hard thing to do sometimes. I know it's hard with family. I know. My brothers come around me and it's like they say one thing and I'm ready just to light them up. Like, I'm telling you, like you wouldn't even think I was some preacher or something. You know, it's like, it's like they come around me and I'm just, I just, it just happens with family. I'm so comfortable. I'm just ready to just like, you know, like less. I just think about the way I used to act. I can't believe it. I would just beat up my brothers like at any time. I mean, I can't believe it. I was just so quick just to like lay the smack down on them. And uh, it's really, it really is a sad thing. I mean, my brothers, we have a great relationship and I love them dearly. And they respect me. I don't know if it's because I beat them so much or it's because uh, I love them a lot. But um, they are sweet brothers. And you know what? Our biggest ministry, did you know, is your family. It really is. If all come to know the Lord but my family, I'll be sad. If the whole world turns to Christ and my family doesn't, I will be broken. I want my family to know Jesus. I want my family to be encouraged by me. We've got to do the same. We've got to stand out. We've got to be different. Don't be stiff-necked this king was. He hardened his heart turning from the Lord God of Israel. And of course, destruction comes for him. Look at verse 14. For all over the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord which he hallowed in Jerusalem. Mm, stop there. Because of his rebellion, because he stood up and rebelled against Jeremiah, guess what happened? The priests did too, and the Levites did too, and everybody. The, the house of God rebelled. Man. The people will become as the leader is. Did you know that? If you're leading anything, whether it be a family, whether it be a Bible study, a prayer group, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're leading, the people will become like you. If you're discipling two guys or just even hanging around with a the group, they will, become, they will mimic you. It is true. Be very careful how you act. Very careful. Whoever you are ministering to or looking after or around, 
You know, as I work at the church, I see it's really easy just for it to get into a job, huh, Darren? You know, it's just really easy. You just, you know, kind of just work in, and you can just, you can really get in the mode of where it just, it just, it just, you, you working, you're just doing your thing. And and it's not that you're like bummed out inside or even, but it's just, it's just where you can just be like flat face all the time, where you just walk around, no smile, no saying hi, no. And it's just, I've really tried to purpose in my heart just to say hi to everybody as they walk by, just to really brighten their day and just lift it up, and just try to be a light even in the church in the workplace, because it's real easy just to get caught up in same old, same old. And wherever you're at, you can be a blessing. You can. I'm telling you. It's up to you. Don't be that person who's just always bummed out all the time, like Eeyore, just walking around. Oh. <laughs> Same old. Love Winnie the Pooh. He, uh, he brightens the day, doesn't he? <laughs> I'll stop there. But man, wherever you're at, you can impact. Know that. I remember an usher. I'll never forget him. I can't remember his name. I wish I did. But this guy literally impacted my life as far as just wanting to bless people. He was, I don't know, he was a little on the, like, not weird, but he was just kind of like, maybe not the most people, people person you ever met in your life. And uh, I just remember this guy, like, he would just walk up to people. He was so happy and so joyful. Just to see everybody, just walk up, shake, welcome, welcome, come on in. You know, I would just be like, thanks. Thank you. You know, like, yeah, I'm ready to come into church now. I was just really sincerely blessed. Not like those, I shouldn't say it. Yeah, I'll say it. Okay, fine, I'll just be real. You know, like some of the, uh, you know, some of the greeters, like, how you doing? Uh-huh. God bless you. <laughs> Come on in. It's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I know they're, they're, they're trying their best. They're trying to do the thing. I shouldn't really, I shouldn't put that down. I really shouldn't. But you know what I'm saying? It's just like, eh. But I remember this guy, man. He was just so genuine. Almost to the point where he's making like a fool of himself, you know. But he just didn't care. Like he just really wanted to sincerely welcome everybody. And that's what he did. I didn't. He didn't do any other ministry in the church. He was. He was an usher, and he was good at it. And man, he welcomed with open arms, and I just loved it. I adored it. And I'm. I'm telling you this day that I looked at that man, and I still remember him. He's stuck in my mind. But I remember looking at him week after week, like, man, I want to be like that. I want to impact people like he just did to me, and like he does every week. I could be walking in bummed out because my car broke down on a Sunday, you know, and I'm just like walking in, and all of a sudden there he is. I want to say his name's Charles. But I just remember he would just shake my hand with a man. You're like, Josh, I need to be a king to impact this world. No, you don't. No, you don't. You'd be an usher. The parking lot guys, man, I love what's happening on a Sunday night, man. I was looking at the parking lot guys this last week. Woo! And you guys are on it, man. I was just like sitting there. If you don't know, I, I go to Harvest Christian Fellowship. Those of you who go to another church. But um, it was just a blessing. The guys were just fired up about like, I mean, it's, how, how fired up can you get about moving cars? They're just like, yeah, come on, come on, yeah, God bless you, yeah, you know, come on. And they're just like all excited about moving cars, you know, like, but I was like excited. I'm just like all like giddy, you know, in my car, like, yeah, those my boys, man. They're like doing the parking lot ministry. It was tight. It's awesome. But you know what? Hey, wherever you are, 
If you're stacking something at the grocery store, you can make it wonderful. One more thing. I remember Derek telling me, he used to work over at, uh, was it Ford? Uh, he would, over the dealership. And he would tell me about this old man, a black man, seven, in his 70s, Derek, right? He's like 70 years old. And this man would sing songs into the Lord and whistle and just sing and just sing and just sing. Derek said "Is blessed his heart like day after day. And this guy was just a light there, just the sweetest brother. And I'm just like, yeah, that's what I'm talking When I'm 70, I'm going to be that whistler, you know, just like kind of walking around, still got my hat on, you know, just like whistling away, whistling away. I want to be like that, Lord. A man can impact a generation. He impacted these priests to rebel. I can't believe it. The priests, the pastors, he impacted them to rebel and be abomination before the Lord. Look what happened in verse 15. And the Lord, God of their fathers, sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. It's saying here that the Father is having patience with them, even though they're rebelling against that He has compassion upon them. I can't even believe this. When people wrong you, do you want to have compassion? Oh, no. It's like I'm ready to draw the sword and light you up. And I'm telling you, look at this. The Father is being patient with them. Patient. We need to learn patience. It says that He has compassion on the people, even though what has happened, this King has caused the pastors, the priests, to rebel against God. And He's saying, hey... I will still have compassion upon them. What? Because he had compassion upon his people and upon his dwelling. Amazing. But verse 16, they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against the people and there was no remedy or there was no healing is a translation. God is merciful and oh so gracious and compassionate but I believe that the wrath of God still will rest upon this earth today and that hey a nation that does not seek the face of God that the Father will allow things to happen to that nation and He will allow it to fall (sighs) has God not been compassionate and gracious to our nation right now if I was God I would have lit this place up a long time ago you think about New York City and all the crazy partying and sick stuff that goes down in that city. New Orleans, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Hawaii, Florida. I mean, the list goes on. The wickedness, the prostitution, the drugs and alcohol. How many times do you think this nation misuses the name of God every day? Use the name of the Lord in vain. GD this, Jesus Christ that. Oh man, I, I'm sorry, Father. You know, it's 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 just sad. And what has God still done? He has not poured His wrath out upon us yet. What a good King, huh? And you know how sometimes your father, your earthly father, it's like you do something wrong and he just snaps. It's like, boom, you're like, oh, you run to your room. You know, it's like you're in big trouble. But man, our father is oh so compassionate and merciful. But hey, his wrath will come down. And it says that it arose against the people. There's no more healing. 
Verse 17, Therefore he brought upon them the kings of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon the young men or maiden or old man or him that stood stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and the princes, and all of these brought to Babylon. And they brought and they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. Wow. And them that had escaped from the sword carried away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and to his sons until the king until the reign of the king of Persia. We'll stop there. So what happens? A, the wrath of God pulls out, and the Chaldees, the king of the Chaldees, comes and just slaughters the people. Just rains down time and time again. We've seen it in the Old Testament, haven't we? Where God says, all right, you don't want to seek my face. I've been so gracious and merciful to you. You look at um, 969 years Methuselah lived. Did you know that when Noah's ark came... Methuselah's name means dying it shall send. And the year that he died, did you know that the flood of Noah's Ark came? What do you mean? What is that saying, Josh? Well, 969 years, that's a long time. This man is born, and they name him dying he shall send. He's going to send the flood. Dying he shall send, it should be the wrath of God. And it's a picture of God's grace and mercy. And this is the longest man to ever live in the entire Bible, 969 years. And this just so happens to be the exact time that God allows before he sends down what? Rain and judgment upon the earth. God is going to stretch out his grace and his mercy as far as he possibly can to see many come to know him as Lord and Savior. But guess what? The time will be cut short. For in the last days, even the elect would fall away. The elite, if you would not cut it short. And with these here in this passage, an army comes in and just slaughters everyone. I mean, they kill everybody. And what happens? Those who are not killed, they were taken into bondage, into Babylon. Do you remember? This is one of the exiles into Babylon. And how long did they stay there? Does anybody know? Seventy years' time, my man. Yes. Seventy years. And does anybody know why? Let me tell you. Look at verse... Yes, look at verse 21. Listen. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed their Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. Threescore is sixty and ten years, seventy. So he says this. Why are these people being sent off? Because they have not kept Shabbat. They have not kept Sabbath. What are we talking about, Josh? Listen. The Lord had given a command back in Leviticus chapter 25 that, hey, the people would what? Work six years on their land, and then on the seventh year they would what? Let the land rest. Okay? So if you're a farmer, and here comes the word of the Lord in that day and age, I would say, farmers, listen up. This is the word of the Lord. We will work six years, and we will harvest and gain. But then on the seventh year, you are not to work at all. One year, you're taking the year off. Vacation. Sounds like a deal, huh? Well, this is the thing. As a farmer, that's a scary thing. Because if you work for six years, and every year, hey, you're working, and your crops are what? Giving you food. And then one year, you have to stop working. You're scared that the next year is it's not going to give 
fruit. You're not going to have anything to eat the next couple years. So what did the people do? Well, six years would come, and on the seventh year, they would do what? They would keep working. And God said, no, you were to rest. But God promised them this. If you rest in that one year, I will give you twofold years, two years worth of crops the next year. You will be completely satisfied and taken care of if you listen to me. What did the people do? Didn't listen. The seventh year, they worked, they worked, they worked. They probably even worked harder. Like, this is the year. This is the year we get to make our money. We're supposed to be, hey, taking a break, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that. We're going to work hard, make our money, and move on. And so they did this for 490 years. 490 years. And God says, you have not kept it. You have not kept Sabbath, and so I'm going to take the Sabbath that you haven't given me. That's 70 years worth of Sabbath. 70 years worth of Sabbath. And so what happened? Now God said, you will give back that Sabbath. And that's what they did. They had to give it back in slavery. And there's a lesson for every single one of us in here. If you do not take Shabbat, you're in trouble. I'm telling you this. That you will lose in one way or another. It is interesting that this is one of the only commandments in the Old Testament that says you will do this forever. Look it up. This command will abide forever and ever. Now, I'm not saying religiously in such a way where you have to keep Saturday, but I believe that it is something we should still carry on today in our time. Why? Because it works practically, number one. You need to work six days and you need to rest one. Why? Because you need to exhaust your resting. We are so go, 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 go. And listen... Oh man, I wish I had this illustration and I can't remember it. Oh man, what was it? Ah, yes, thank you, Father. There's two men chopping wood. They were in a competition to see who could chop the fastest. And they had seven days to chop wood. And they're chopping and chopping and chopping, and one man takes a break one day. And uh, he takes a break during that day and he comes back to chopping and he actually chops more wood than the other man who worked the entire time. The man comes up and he says, how'd you do that? How'd you chop more wood than me? We were working the same amount of time. You actually took a break. And you didn't chop. How'd you do that? He says, while you were chopping, I was sharpening. I was sharpening my blade. And now he is able to what? To regain the power and sharp sharpen and chop faster than ever before and it is true with us family i'm telling you this that if you steal from the lord the shabbat in your life that you will reap it in busyness and you'll be tired and you'll be heavy and one way or another i guarantee it and you will give those years back to god it is something that we must be instilling within it is happening today in israel still to this day i love it it was the sweetest thing i ever experienced shabbat Friday night when the sun goes down, everybody goes home to their families and we just hang out and chill. Friday night all the way till Sunday night. And then at Sunday night around, I mean, sorry, Saturday night. And then Saturday night around 6 o'clock, everybody would go out and just hang out and go out into the city and do everything. But everything is just dead. Everybody's at home hanging out with their families Friday night all day Saturday. And what they're doing is they're trying to exhaust resting. Because I'm telling you, when Saturday night comes around, people are like birds cooped up in cages. You know, they just can't wait to break free and get out and get back to life. Can't wait. 
probably because a lot of them don't believe in God. You know, they're sitting there cooped up with their families, they get in an argument here and there, you know, just feeling like who knows what. But you need to exhaust your resting. Apply this principle to your life today. I really try on Saturday, that's my Shabbat. I love to go surfing in the morning early if I can. And then I lay out on the beach and I go to sleep and get a sunburn. And then I go and eat uh, my fried zucchini oh, with uh, ranch dressing. Thank you, Father. And uh, and then I just come home and chill, you know, and just do what I want to do. And I just hang out, read a little, go take a walk with the Lord, just enjoy the day. And I'm telling you the truth, many times I will not do even even ministry stuff on Shabbat. I will not. If it sounds like a burden to me, I'm not doing it. Because that is my day set apart for the King. And sure, there's a time here or there where I'll... Where I'll you know, go and do something or something needs to be accomplished and so I'll do it. I'm not saying that I'm like so religious that I don't do any work on Saturday or anything. No, no, no. There's times when I got to wash my clothes or do things. But I really try to set apart it as a day just to exhaust my time of resting. It's very difficult for me to sit down. Robert knows, you know, I just I, I just always find myself like, i got to do something, i got to do something. I just can't sit. I just don't like to just sit and relax. hard for me to sit at the television for a long time. And so I just... But Shabbat, Shabbat is very important for all of us. I'm going to try to instill it in my family from the beginning. Hopefully it will stick. Maybe you guys can hold me accountable for that, huh? Just come up, Josh, are you keeping Shabbat with your family when I have one one day? But do that, please. If you cut God short in any way, even in tithes and offerings, whether it be with money or whether it be with time, I'm telling you that you, hey, God will get that time. And it will wear on you. Let's close it up. Now in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith King Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. And hath he charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah? Who is there among you of this people, of, of all of his people? The Lord his God be with you, and let him go up. So what happens? Cyrus, king of Persia, comes into power, and he lets the people go back and build the temple if they desire. Praise the Father. After 70 years of being in bondage because they did not obey the Sabbath, they are set free from slavery. I wonder if there's anybody amongst the Jews, amongst that congregation that knew that they had rebelled and not kept Shabbat for such and such amount of years, 40, 490 years, and so they were going to give God back 70 years. I wonder if any one of them had known that. And they're like waiting, and all of a sudden on the 70th year, 70th year they're sitting there, and it's like God's going to set us free. And there it is. King Cyrus rises up, and he says, Hey, guys, it's time to go home. He set them free and they got to go home and build the temple. Maybe some of you have been in bondage for a little while. Whether it be to sin, whether it be to busyness, whether it be just not keeping commitments that you desire to keep with God. God wants to set you free tonight, amen. And we can walk away in victory in anything that we desire. Did you know that? Because God has given us that power through His blood. It's the blood of Jesus, not by might, nor by power, but by His Spirit, says the Lord. It is Him and Him alone that does the work. And if you desire for work to happen in you tonight, it can happen. 
you simply cry out to Him. A sincere cry. You know those times? Have you had those moments where you sincerely cry out to God and say, God, I need this. I got I to gotta change this. Can you please help me? Please. You can do that in any area that you desire tonight. You lay it at His feet and watch the work that He does. Amen? Let's pray and ask the Father. O King, O Father, do you hear us? Um, <sighs> Lord, these kings did so much evil in your eyes. And I'm, man, you're so good. I just pray, Father, that somehow a stirring would happen amongst your people. That by your blood, a a stirring would happen amongst your people. And that they would even make decisions in their lives to be set free from certain things or make decisions to move forward in their walk. That this would not be another message just to take in. But we would be hearers of the Word. Not just doers. So Not just hearers, but doers. Forgive me, Father. Not just hearers, but doers. We desire to move forward in our walks with You. And we need Your touch. We need Your help. And so these things we lay at Your feet. And we ask that You'd move and that You'd help. We lay this at Your feet and we ask You to take it from us. And we ask for You to instill these things in us that we desire. All this for what? To glorify You. To exalt You in our lives. To bring You the worship and the adoration that You deserve. just want to say love You, King. You're a great God and I love serving You. And although these people love serving You, thank You for the work You're doing in this coffee shop. Bless Your people as they go tonight, please. You're the greatest King to ever walk the earth. There's none like You. And we will follow you all of our days. We pray these things because of your Son. Amen. Amen.